I would like to take the opportunity right now before our scripture reading to welcome all of you who are worshiping with us via live stream, whether that is right now as it's happening or later. If you care to watch it over and over again, that's great with us. So thank you for joining us and you're very important to our community. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Listen for the word of the Lord. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine, imagine the whole world turned on its head. Imagine that everything we know is upside down, that Mary's words are finally coming true. The powerful are brought down from their thrones and the lowly are lifted up. The hungry are filled with good things, and the rich are sent away empty. Imagine it. The whole world turned on its head. This is exactly what we have been waiting for. The kingdom of God is coming, whether we like it or not, and that is very good news. But to the Pharisees that Jesus was teaching, the lovers of money, anyone who is not among the sick and the poor and the hungry, this news may not sound so good. 
Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus at the end of a strand of parables intended for very different audiences. But just because Jesus is talking to one group doesn't mean that the other groups have left and gone home. Here, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the lovers of money, but the disciples are still with them. And so are the tax collectors and the sinners and the poor and the hungry. They can all hear him too. So Jesus tells this story, a story that lands very differently based on who is hearing it. He talks out of both sides of his mouth. Every word that Jesus says affirms the inherent worth of the sick and the poor and the hungry. They will hear that in this parable. They will know that they are loved and that they have a seat in the kingdom of God. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees will hear a very different story. A story that is not difficult at all to understand, but a story that is very difficult to sit through and hear. Jesus starts like this. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus. The rich man dresses like royalty and eats like a king every day, while Lazarus is only dressed in sores. And his body is a feast for the dogs that come to lick him. These two men could not be more opposite from each other. They could not be more distant from each other. Except for the part where they are on different sides of the very same gate. They live the way that we would expect them to. The rich man is rich beyond measure and he lives like it. He stays within the safety of his gated house. He invites his friends over all the time. He spends his days throwing lavish parties of excess. He takes no time to notice Lazarus. He sees Lazarus lying in such pain and need, and he ignores his responsibility in alleviating the pain of a fellow human. While all this time, he could have ended Lazarus's suffering with just a wave of his hand. He just never sees Lazarus. And then there is Lazarus, poor and sick and starving, spending all his days longing for scraps just outside the rich man's gate. Completely opposite of the rich man, Lazarus does not live at all. Notice though, Jesus calls Lazarus by name and is unconcerned with the name of the rich man. So if you're paying any attention right now, you already know whose side Jesus is on. Our scene is set. We know the characters and the situation. And Jesus is about to turn the tables. One day, Lazarus dies. And angels carry him off to be with Abraham. Lazarus receives the nurture and care from Abraham that he'd never had in his earthly life. 
His suffering is finally over and his life finally begins. That same day, the rich man dies. And unlike Lazarus, the rich man is buried. And he goes to Hades, where he is tormented and thirsty, experiencing all the pain that he was able to avoid in his earthly life. In an instant, everything these men know is turned upside down. The world is turned on its head. And now, we are in uncharted territory. The rich man can see Abraham comforting Lazarus up above him at a great distance. And for the first time ever, the rich man begins to beg. He calls out to Abraham, who, by the way, is famous because of his hospitality to others, welcoming and feeding three strangers once, who just so happened to be God. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. The rich man hasn't learned his lesson. Even in his newfound lowly position of torment, he only talks to Abraham as if Lazarus isn't right there next to him. And then he expects Lazarus to be his personal errand boy and go fetch him some water. The rich man still expects the poor to do his bidding. But those days are over now. So Abraham says, no. Not a mean no, but still a very hard no. Abraham says, remember that you used to be blessed and Lazarus used to be afflicted with evil things. Now Lazarus is comforted, and you are in agony. Everything is upside down now. Even if Lazarus wanted to come to your aid, he can't. And you can't get here to us, because there is a great chasm that has been fixed between us. And it's going to stay that way. But Father Abraham... At least send Lazarus to go tell my brothers for me. And Abraham again says, no. They have Moses and the prophets already. The rich man cannot make the poor run his errands any longer. Please, Father Abraham, they'll listen to someone who comes from the dead. And again, no. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen to someone from the dead either. The world is now fixed in its upside down state. The rich man cannot make Lazarus do his bidding or go back to the world of torment any longer. And the rich man should expect his brothers to be joining him in Hades. But wait, didn't Jesus just preach other parables that were happy? What happened to our prodigal son who got welcomed back home with open arms? What happened to our shepherd leaving the 99 to go find that lost sheep? 
And didn't all of those parables end in a big party where everybody was welcome? Where did those stories go? Where is God's welcome even to this rich man? I mean, the rich man wasn't evil. He wasn't actively tormenting Lazarus. He just never saw Lazarus. He was likely just blind to Lazarus's suffering, never opening the gate and looking down to see that there was a man lying there. Surely he shouldn't be punished this harshly for living his life and keeping to himself. How in the world was he supposed to know what Lazarus was going through? Well, he was supposed to open that gate. The prophet Amos says that our gates are supposed to be sites of justice and open to the most vulnerable. But the rich man's gate was closed. There was an uncrossable chasm between the rich man and Lazarus the entire time. Lazarus had no more power to open that gate and get to where the food was than the rich man had power to get from Hades to Abraham. And the rich man would never open the gate himself, even though he technically had power to do so. He would never see the poor man Lazarus laying just outside his door. Seeing the poor is so difficult to do. Think about it for a second. I change the channel every time I see commercials about animals and shelters. I change it faster when I see children in need, at stop signs and at traffic lights. I feel guilty about how uncomfortable I get when I see people who are in need, so I look straight ahead. And on a good day, I might offer a smile and a nod first. And those are the people in visible need. We don't see the people around the world who live in poverty and famine at all. I don't see underpaid farm workers outside my window. I don't live in the food deserts and impoverished neighborhoods of Greensboro. It is hard to see those who are poor because we have done a fantastic job of making sure that they are hidden. You have to look for them. But what is even harder is looking at them making eye contact, talking, sitting, and eating, and being with them, and affirming that they are humans and beloved children of God who should not have to live the way that they do. Because then, if we truly saw our siblings in need, we would have to act. The rich man didn't see Lazarus, who was there all along. He didn't see a fellow human in need, a fellow child of God who must be welcomed and cared for. He wasn't evil or malicious or mean. He just never opened the gate. We ourselves have gates around us right here. 
except we call them doors. Look around. We are in a place where we enjoy nice things. Really, look around. It's a beautiful space. Look at our stained glass and our organs on both sides of the sanctuary. At First Presbyterian Church, we have plenty. We feast every Sunday on biscuits and donuts, and I had several today. <laughs> our building is cool, and it is air-conditioned. Our ceilings are lofty. We have everything we need and more in this place. But how open are those gates? We have 38 steps leading up to the front door of our sanctuary. How many people in our surrounding community see those 38 steps as an uncrossable chasm? How many people use the little bit of shade by the bus stop at Elm Street and Fisher Avenue, right outside our own building, but will never feel like they can come inside the sanctuary on a Sunday morning. And even when we do serve our community and do good work, which we do, are we really seeing our siblings who are in need? Look around us. And when I say look around us, look around, look at each other. Look for the people who are not here. Look for the people who have never been here and don't feel like they can come inside. Do, are our gates open wide? Do they reflect the kingdom of God? Friends, we are not in the land of the prodigal son this morning. I'm not here to say that we are the lost sheep being brought home to a big old party. And I don't think that we are Lazarus receiving comfort from Abraham either. But we aren't the rich man either. It is not too late for us. There is good news. The kingdom of God is coming whether we like it or not, and we are able to participate in it right here and now. The good news is that our gates can open. The hinges on every door in this building are functional, I promise. We have Moses, we have the prophets, and we have someone, a poor man, who came back from the dead. Last week, Alexandra asked us what things would look like if we actually believed the things that we say we believe. Today, I'm asking you to ask that question again, especially as we prepare our revival, for our revival. Imagine what our world would look like. Imagine what our city and our congregation would look like if we believed the things we say we believe. We believe that God executes justice for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry and sets the prisoner free and opens the eyes of the blind 
and lifts up those who are bowed down and watches over the strangers and upholds the orphan and the widow and welcomes all who are in need with open arms. And we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is also the poor man lying outside our gates, the one who is hungry and got no food, the stranger who was not welcomed, the one who was thirsty and got no drink, the one who was naked and received no clothing, the one who was sick and in prison and had no visitors. We believe that Jesus Christ, Lord of all creation, God in flesh among us, was the least of these. We believe that everyone is welcome here in this space. Imagine what would happen if we actually believed that. We have Moses, we have the prophets, we have a man who came back from the dead, all telling us how the world should look. Imagine if we started paying attention to them. If we can imagine it, then with God's help, we had better start getting to it. Jesus is in the business of turning the world on its head. The kingdom of God is coming whether we like it or not. And that is very good news. Praise be to God. Amen.